Welcome to this podcast. My name is Jesper Scherbrink, and I will host a series of podcasts here at iGaming Next. This being my premier podcast, I'm a bit nervous, of course, uh, but I'm super thrilled having uh, Kresmir Spadzik with me here today. And welcome, Kresmir. Thank you, Jesper, for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you and seeing you. Uh, the same, it is. I mean, we met the first time in Malta four or five years ago. You were visiting Ireland, what, uh, uh, visiting uh, gaming companies, and, and of course, you ended up with Mr. Green and some others, I, I, I must say. And then we met over the years in conferences. We had lunches and, 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 and whatever. And we also end up in long discussions about the industry. And I like those discussions with you because you, you know it from inside and out. You're smart, you're intelligent, and, and you have control of this industry, and especially the, the, the US market that we will touch on today. Uh, so once again, super thrilled to have you here. But I would like to start with who is Kresimir? Sure. I mean, let, let's start first professionally, right? Uh, you know, I, I was experimenting a lot over the years. I, I worked in all kinds of roles, internal, external, developing and managing businesses and projects of all kinds of sizes, budgets, and, and I worked in many, many countries, you know. I was also lucky to work in many industries. Most of my career I spent in digital gaming industry, in all verticals. But I also worked in marketing and advertising industry in sports. I was a professional athlete and also a manager in sports industry. And finally, I, I, I worked in education as a lecturer and assistant, pro, an assistant professor. But, you know, after many years, I actually realized that I find the most joy and deliver the most value as an, as an executive intrapreneur. Mm -hmm. What does it mean, right? Being an executive within a big organization, because I love developing and implementing innovative ideas and projects that considerable impact on, on the company's future. And why I like the job? Because I like the challenge, I like the competition, I like the autonomy with these roles gives, and I like intrinsic and extrinsic rewards which entrepreneurial job uh, uh, basically provides. So this is me professionally. Uh, when it comes to privately, I'm born, raised, and spent most of my life in Croatia. Last seven years, I, I live in Miami, Florida. Uh, I'm both Croatian and American citizen. But most importantly, I'm, I'm a family man. I'm a proud husband, and I'm a, a father of two girls. And my passion is sports. All my hobbies are sports-related, preferably anything outdoors. Uh, and in addition to sports, you know, I invest a lot of time in continuous education and knowledge enhancement. This is really important to me. I love all kinds of intellectual work, and it just keeps me sharp and, and, and interested. Fantastic. And, and I mean, I, I, I totally get where you come from. And this is also probably why, why, why we connect so well, because you, you have this very exciting background. You have a professional, being a professional athlete. I was never a professional, but I, 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 I trained and, and competed on, on quite high, high level. And I know what that means when you bring it into management and how you can turn this into, into being an, uh, a leader. And I'm also kind of an entrepreneurial guy. So I, I understand. And this is a fantastic background. And, but you have spent basically the last seven years in the iGaming industry. And I would say that you are one of the veterans in, in the US iGaming industry. So, and US is so hot right now. I mean, the gaming, it started somewhere in with, with Scandinavia and UK, of course, and then it 
spread over Europe with, with the Malta licenses and and lately Germany has been the, 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 the next big thing and we, we see Italy, we see Asia of course and India but now every focus is on the US. It, it would be fun to see or interesting to listen to you taking us through the history. I mean I, I think that the first license in New Jersey was 2013 or something like that so sure. if you could just put, a, put some context to, 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 to this hype right now. Yeah, I would actually start a bit earlier, right? I started in this industry Please. in 2006 in, six in Europe, and that was one of the, of the years where there was a big happening. But to understand really the US, you need to go much, much farther back. So there are a few of these laws that has been passed in the past, which still influence the legislation to, today. Like one of them, which was passed in 1961, is the Federal Wire Act. Basically, this act uh, forbids the transmission uh, in intrastate or foreign transaction, both of uh, uh, currencies and basically player-related activities. Then in 1992, you have a PASPA, which, is, which basically bans the legislation of sports betting. And then in 2006, where I actually joined the industry and was working back then for BVIN, uh, there was a ban of internet gaming in the US, which means that many companies in 2006, including the largest company at that time, uh, uh, party gaming, party poker, had to leave uh, the US. Yeah. There is another significant date, which was 2011, which was a Black Friday, which was really the, the end of all kind of digital gaming in the US with a ban basically of a poker sites. Uh, most notably poker stars and full tilt poker and some some others. And then what happened on November 21st, 2013, the, the launch of online gaming happened in New Jersey, which was the first significant market that actually launched some kind of form of online and mobile gaming. Delaware launched a bit earlier in the year, but it's a relatively small market. And it was actually the beginning of, of what I called, let's call it the, the, the online gaming in the US. Mm -hmm. I was part of that process. I was actually working for a company at that time, Boyd Gaming, which owned the property mm -hmm. Borgata together with MGM. And we were the first one to launch in the state of New Jersey and became uh, a significant market leader with 40% of the, of the market share. There was a lot of buzz about it, but it was a lot of scare. Many people are worried that online is gonna overtake uh, the brick and mortar, the people are going to lose the jobs and so on and so forth. There was also a very, very slow adoption, right? Because people didn't understand online gaming. They didn't understand how all of this works. And, and it, it, it had to basically invest a lot of money into educating people uh, in how they can use the product and more importantly, building the trust of, of, of the customers uh, into uh safety security of of the online gaming product however at that time in 2013 we were all hopeful that now the online gaming is gonna spread like a wildfire throughout the us <laughs> and unfortunately nothing happened right we got stuck no. with with online gaming and, and 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 poker in delaware with poker in uh, in nevada and with uh, poker and online gaming in New Jersey. An interesting point from that time that stayed in my memory that all the companies at that time were focusing on poker. Like the big play actually, believe it or not, coming in the US was like, this is gonna be a, a, a poker market because 
Poker mm -hmm. has a long history in the US. It was a very televised programming at that time. And people mm -hmm. are hoping that, uh, that poker is actually going to be the leader, which was definitely a wrong thinking uh, for a majority of the people. And now we are coming to a near future, right, which is very, very important. You know, on May 14, basically in 2018, the Supreme Court uh, reappealed PASPA which is basically legislation that bans the sports betting. And this was actually the, the boom of the sports betting, uh, uh, online sports betting in the US. And currently I believe we have around 26 states, if I'm right, uh, that have passed the legislation or they're in a final mm -hmm. stage of passing legislation in the US and many more preparing uh, to do it. Um, so that's kind of a history. Uh, we can touch about the differences between sports and online gaming and where this is, but I assume that we can discuss this in some of the later questions. Yeah, yeah we will. Absolutely. And thanks for this. This is, this is fantastic. And, and there, there's a red thread in this. And that's kind of the, the, the resistance of actually going online full out. I mean, legislation-wise and, and, and the bans and us and all those things. Is this from the beginning coming from the bricks and mortar casinos? I mean, we all know that Sheldon Allison was one of the, the, the most conservative when it comes to, to, to where you should play and that should be in the casinos. Have they played a role in this one? And is this role changing now? Because it feels like it's, it's basically a flood waiting to just explode. Or, or am I wrong in that? No, you're completely right, right? I actually spent my career in the US working for brick and mortar companies. So I worked for Boy yeah. Gaming, Borgada, after that with Rush Street Gaming, and then finally last five years I'm with Hard Rock. So you're right. The problem was, you know, the industry was functioning in the same way for 50, 60 years, right? Mm -hmm. It was all about the location. It was all about mm -hmm. the integrated resource. It was all about the brick and mortar business. And there is always a fear of unknown and digital was, unknown for many of these operators. There was also uh, a fear about the safety and security related to responsible gaming, mm -hmm. but also to security of the data and things like this, because brick and mortar company are not very digitally advanced companies. So mm -hmm. they didn't understand what is going on. And there was a huge fear. So that was one of the reason why there wasn't uh, uh, an expansion of online gaming specifically, but there is also one div big difference between sports and, and, and online casino. Online casino is very heavily regulated and because of the concerns of responsible gaming, there is always fear that, you know, it's more addictive uh, and that's why legislators have a kind of more cautious approach to online gaming. On the other hand, when you talk about sports, I think that two kind of areas uh, of entertainment or enjoyment in, in any human's life is sports and music, right? This mm -hmm. is something that is so engraved in our culture and that's why sport is so much more accepted. And I think this is the reason why sport has been uh, much easier to pass uh, on, on side of legislators and it has been engraved anyway in the culture. Uh, on another hand, you know, go, go ahead, sorry. No, I mean, yes, sh sh to shoot in there, I, I totally get where you're coming from because uh, culturally where you play and, and how you allow people to play or, or what is happening is also kind of former, forming the, the legislation. And, and we all know that, that 
there's a huge market in in US for the the, the street corner bookies and and basically illegal gambling and and illegal sites etc cetera, etc cetera. so so i understand why why sports betting is coming first and then you have this interest of sports in in the US as a, as part of the entertainment so that that is makes totally sense for me but at the same time i'm a bit surprised that that you haven't picked this up on the casino side because there are casinos in in most states, but they are bricks and mortar. But that is what you're saying. That's once again they have kind of stopped that, or or and and so. But will this change now? I mean, we we saw Michigan. I think it was the last week they they opened up and and it kind of exploded. The numbers we hear from that we we don't know them yet, but it sounds like they are uh, very very strong. Yeah, for sure. Look, the difference between U.S. and any other market in the world when it comes to the casino industry is that in U.S. you have thousand casinos, physical yes. properties in, inside yeah. of the U.S. Most of these or significant amount of these casinos are integrated casino resorts, which means that there are not just a gambling houses. They are basically entertainment venues in which you can go mm. have a fine dining, can have, have can have a nice day experience, mm -hmm. can visit live events, all kinds of concerts, comedy shows, whatever you prefer. So it's a part of entertainment. It's a part of the lifestyle. And I think that this is a big difference uh, between US and, and any other country in the world. Also, the perception of the consumers about the casinos is very, very different and much more positive in the mm. US than in many other parts mm. of, of the world. Second thing, you in, uh, casinos are extremely regulated industry in the US, probably one of the most, if not the most regulated industry in the US. And that's why safety, security of the consumers and people involved in this industry is, is, is very, very good. Um, so when it comes to this, I actually think that the biggest potential in the US is casino industry, digital gaming casino industry, because there is uh, uh, casinos are spread out through the whole country. There is an interest in this type of entertainment. And uh, we understand that in terms of the dollar value casino industry is a higher dollar value industry than the sports betting. So I think the sports betting is, is the first wave. It's something that, that was much easier to pass and, and convince basically legislators and government that this actually can have a positive influence, not only that is bringing a tax dollars, but more importantly is regulated actually illegal uh, sports betting, which has been mm -hmm. present for decades uh, yeah. in the US with zero protections for the consumers uh, in regards and to- zero tax, And zero tax, and zero tax for the state. Zero and tax, with zero right? tax Exactly. And will the, will the, how do you say, online uh, casino way following the same way is yet to be seen, right? I think that mm -hmm. at this point of time is very, very uncertain. There is lots of interpretations, but I, I learned one thing. You, you cannot be sure in anything, right? I think that you need uh, a, a few bigger states that endorse this. A few bigger mm -hmm. states endorse this. Um, the others will follow because you don't want to stay out, right? This is what happened with the sports betting. Your neighbor is having a sports betting you don't have. What happens? People are wagering uh, cross-border. People will literally drive, go and wager cross-border, and you're just losing on attacks opportunities that, that you wouldn't have if you don't pass legislation. So we need two, three more states to pass the online casino. And once this is happens, I think that the, the, the speed of legalization is hopefully be much faster than it is right now. 
I, I agree. And I, we all heard stories about the people living around New Jersey, how they travel over the bridges and so forth to, to play some bets. So you, you're right. And, and I also think that from a player perspective, from a consumer perspective, the, the US consumers are just waiting for this to happen. So it's not, it's not that there's a, is there any consumers out there? I think there's, a, we, we, once again, we, we probably see this in Michigan right now, but when you open up, it's a huge interest. So this is, this is up to the lawmakers. And, and, do you think the 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 pandemic now with with pressure on 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 state fan finances and 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 so forth will this make it easier for legislators to push this through because they, there's a need to to find new revenue sources no definitely i think that the the, the covid pandemic changed everything it changed the opinions of the brick and mortar industry it changed the necessity of the governments and the state legislators attitude mm -hmm. towards the legislation look there, there are budget deficits all over right economy definitely mm -hmm. slowed down and you need to kind of uh, find new revenue sources which are going to enhance this i think that the second thing what also improved is like look just consumption of the digital media was high anyway before the COVID, but during mm -hmm. the COVID, it, it just exploded but together mm -hmm. with the consumption of the digital uh, media and digital entertainment what also kind of boomed is uh, digital transaction, digital mm -hmm. financial transaction. So people are becoming more used and more prone to spend money uh, online, even people which haven't been doing this. So mm -hmm. we understand that everything is digitalizing. I think that the brick and mortar industry realized that if they don't adapt and adjust, they're gonna stay behind. And as you can see in the last 18 months, you, we have seen some of the significant transactions uh, 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 from a brick and mortar uh, companies into the digital sphere because we ultimately expect in the next five years approximately 30% of all the gaming revenues in the US will be coming uh, uh, mm -hmm. from digital uh, verticals. Yeah, and, and this is interesting because we are now in Europe hitting the 30 plus something, 32, 30 something uh, 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 share of of, of uh, online to, to offline gaming. I think that will be leapfrogged in the US. It will go much much faster uh, for for all the reasons we we spoke about. So, in that sense, this this the, the online gaming will kind of explode in the US. And and of course, as you say, with the bricks and mortars, they can't stay away. I mean, I know that you built a very successful two hundred fifty million dollar business with with Hard Rock. But excuse the, the French here, that's a piss in Mississippi compared to, to what the entire group are doing. Have they realized this now? Is the, the acquisition of William Hill from MGM, is that, that kind of a proof that they are now stepping into this full throttle 100% and MGMs try to acquire Entain, et cetera, et cetera. Is this, have they understood now? Is this the proof for them to, to, to take these positions? Yeah, I mean, definitely did. I think that some companies understood it earlier, some later. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that one of the first one that that kind of decided to do something in, re in regards to this was MGM. Uh, yeah. Before that, even Caesars. But, you know, everybody kind of decided to do this to tick the boxes. This is at least my experience, you know, to say mm -hmm. to the market mm -hmm. and to the, say to the mm -hmm. shareholders, yes, we are in this area mm -hmm. of digital gaming, mm -hmm. but nobody really put attention, uh, determination, and most mm -hmm. importantly, resources 
behind yeah. this. And I think this drastically changed once they started seeing the successes of DraftKings and FanDuel's and valuation behind all of this, and also the results and the revenues. I mean, just the casino industry in New Jersey was uh, almost a billion dollar last year, yeah. billion dollar yeah. for a state which has 9 million people population, right? Yeah. Uh, New Jersey this year combined sports betting and online gaming in 2020 were almost equal revenue, right? Land-based, <laughs> it comes to, to, the, to the sports betting and, and, and online casino almost basically matched in terms of the revenue. So I think people are smart. These companies have something which new European entrants do not have, meaning they have the brand recognition, they have the databases, yeah. they have the relationships both with their legislators, mm -hmm. uh, government and regulators, and it's time for them to, to decide what they can do. The issue with them is they didn't have a know-how. They didn't have a know-how, they didn't understand how to do it, but now they have acquired that know-how, either through the M&A activities or to hiring a good talent, you know, people like myself coming uh, uh, from international business that they lived uh, the digital gaming many years before, and they're implementing this. So to conclude, there was a different approaches in the brick and mortar industry. Most of them took a very conservative stance some of them even negative, we don't want to have anything with this. Some, they decided to do something, but they never made a bold move. And very, very few really made uh, from early start uh, bolder moves. However, now this changed. Now we can say that everybody in brick and mortar industry is thinking how they can jump on this uh, 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 mm -hmm. ship and how they can basically participate in all of this. However, usually, you know, the boldest one are the most rewarded, the rewarded one, mm -hmm. right? Now it's much, much harder to become a significant participant in the U.S. gaming industry. It requires uh, lots of good assets uh, and a lots of capital. Can, can we agree on that? Basically, none of these big giants can do this organically. They have to acquire. It's it's too late to 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 grow organically. Or can you still do that with with opening up your own business in state by state by state? Or or will they ever do that? Do they have the patience for that? So I think that the biggest complexity in the U.S., which people might not be aware, is actually market access, right? You, mm -hmm. This is the same as European Union, right? U.S. Mm -hmm. is basically 50 different states. You need to acquire a market access uh, for, for mm -hmm. any state that you want to participate in. More importantly, you need to adjust to, to the legislation regulations of that market, which requires adaptation of the technology as well. And then there are different cultures within each of those markets. The differences are not as uh, visible as in Europe, where there is a different basically language and different uh, uh, customs, but there is a differences between the preferences with the market and you need to market individually. So market access is a big thing, right? That's why yeah. organically it's almost impossible because none of the land-based players have a, a market access in more than 10, 11, uh, uh, states and to be a significant player, you need economies of scales and they need to uh, acquire uh, additional states. So I think ultimately who is going to be the winner will heavily depend on what the legislator are going to do with the, with the four big states. And we call them, these are the gold, golden grails of, of the market, which is California, uh, followed by Texas, followed by Florida and followed by New York. 
So these three mm -hmm. markets alone make over 30 something, I think 37% of the US population and probably mm -hmm. even more in terms of, of the revenues which you can expect from sports betting and online casino. If these legislations will be more liberal and enable access to a variety of operators, then you have a chance. If not, the winners will be those that decided to pay decent amount of money for access in these states ahead of knowing what the legislation is really gonna uh, say. Uh, that's a high stake gamble. It is. We are in that industry yeah. and some people made a high stake gamble and now they're profiting it. I believe yeah. that the, in the near future or, or in the midterm future, you know, this industry is going to start getting a less of a premium that it's getting right now in terms of valuation uh, of the market. But I think still this will be a significantly sizable industry in which, know, which, in which we know by the experience from, from Europe and other markets that usually five, six top players uh, ripe the most of the benefits, both in terms of the market share and both in the terms of profitability, right? Depending on a country, depending on the region, they have anywhere between 60 and 80% of the market share and probably even more uh, when it comes to profitability. So you need to be bold, you need to be aggressive, you need to make a big moves and you need to risk a lot if you wanna end up being one of these top five, six players in sports book and maybe eight, nine in casino, which are gonna be making money, a significant money. But at the same time, being a, a, a decent sized tier two operator from, from Europe, is, is there a possibility to do it like say that we, we're gonna aim for four states. Four states in, in I mean, if we take once again, New Jersey. New Jersey is like Sweden, and Sweden is an extremely profitable gaming market for, for most operators Suc succeeding there. It's like the same population, eight, nine million people. You said they, they, they spend there was almost $2 billion together with, with land-based. And, and that's basically what we have in Sweden. It's, it's, I think it's a bit higher. It could be $3 billion in total in Sweden. So. I mean, doing can is that that is that a viable solution as well that you, you you pick free states instead of going into free regions in in Asia or whatever is is that possible as well? So I think that there are, we're already seeing kind of uh, three different paths, right? Very local mm -hmm. state focus operators, mm -hmm. right? People that are just gonna be a player in one state because they have some kind of a competitive advantage, which is hard to mm -hmm. uh, uh, to replicate. The second one is a regional players, basically mm -hmm. meaning either a region or, or a few states in which, again, they have uh, a competitive advantage. And then you have a national players, right? U.S. is a bit unique, right? It has a both national media and local media. So you de depending on how much market access you, you have, mm -hmm. it's worth or not worth to have a national partnerships, right? If you don't have this, you need to have a, a regional partnership, specifically in sports. Also, all the media rights are, are very uh, dispersed. It's not like in majority of European countries when one company owns 80, 90 percent of all the rights. In U.S., four, five, six uh, different media groups own different rights. So it's much more complex in terms of the access. I think that the the, the disadvantage which European companies have is, is a big one and it falls into two parts. One is market access. 
And even if they have mm. to acquire it, they have to pay for it, which means that they have mm. less operating capital to invest into marketing and, and, and other resources. The second one is brand. Most European mm. brands don't have any meaning or any significance or any connections with the local customers. So they need to invest in building that brand, Heavily. which requires yeah. a lots of millions of the dollars, or they need to seek for a partnership with an existing mm. brand, which again, eats up into their profitability. Where mm. European mm. companies have experience is a, a technology, its product and its operations. However, they need a local talent in order to really leverage this to fullest, right? Many people think, oh, we know this and we do this in many European countries, we are gonna do it by ourselves. And I'm telling you that all of them changed their approach. Now everybody has the mm. local teams, everybody is building a US mm. businesses. You can leverage certain knowledge, skill set, uh, and uh, resources from headquarters in Europe, but you have to have leadership. Uh, here in the US yeah. in order to be successful. Yeah. So the long story mm -hmm. short, what is going to happen? You're going to have a national leaders, few companies. You're going to have what I call a regional leaders. And then you're going to have people that are going to be extremely successful, maybe in only uh, 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 one market, right? An example, this yeah. could be in California or New York or some other states mm -hmm. where you have a competitive advantage uh, over others, but in my opinion, uh, the, the the European operators with zero partnership in the U.S. it will be extremely extremely hard for them um, to build uh, a, a significant mm. uh, market share and most importantly profitability because some of them have been very very aggressive and they are mm. building a, a very decent. Uh, market share and participation. An example, one of these companies is PointsBet, but I wonder at what cost and will this ultimately replicate into a profitable mm -hmm. business? But but at the same time, this makes them to perfect uh, acquisition targets. I mean, they, as you said, they are they 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 know what they're doing. They have the history of this. They have fantastic. Most of the European big companies has the fantastic. Uh, uh, Operational excellence and and they know how to to run casinos and sportsbooks etc etc. So I, I think I think we can agree on that the, the a lot of the acquisitions might actually be from 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 west to east if, if so. No, definitely. I mean, as you see, Europe is getting harder and harder. It's getting yeah. more regulated. It's 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 very very it's getting more competitive. It's very very hard to run a profitable business there. And everybody needs to have a play now in the U.S. because we're all aware that U.S. will be the biggest global uh, mm -hmm. uh, gaming market. So you just need to participate and 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 find the best way how to participate in this market. Will everybody be successful? No. But the the point is that there are lots of out there, lots of brick and mortar companies which are very cash heavy in many of the cases, mm -hmm. which will need that expertise and technology. Mm -hmm and partnership to be successful in their domestic market. So I think that we are, we are definitely going to see more of a larger um, M&A uh, uh, transactions. I wonder, though, if anybody will be able to challenge uh, a few people on the top, which have been very, very aggressive and bold and already acquired uh, an assets which are necessary 
to be successful. I'm just going to repeat myself. In order to be successful in the U.S., you need to first and foremost have a market access. Second, you need to have basically a, a recognizable and trusted and relevant brand nationally and locally in the U.S. The third thing, right, and everything else is secondary to this. this these are two first prerequisite at this point of time at this maturity level of the market. After this comes some other things like basically technology, product, operational excellence, and so on and so forth. But if you don't have the first two, brand, market access, you, you just cannot be successful. Ideally, on top of this, you would layer uh, a database, like an example, mm -hmm. what XDFS companies had or brick and mortar companies exactly. have. And you would add some kind of distribution uh, uh, partnership one way or another, either through the media reach or through the different retail channel where you can either promote uh, or acquire additional customers. Great. I mean, this makes two to sense. And you 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 took you took my next question there. The, the the DFS they are. I mean, it seems like on your reasoning they are the perfect launching points for for a lot of the of the of the brick and mortar. I mean, they have the brands, they have the the position, they have the it's kind of a betting already, and they have the the databases. So so it, it makes it makes sense. I would like to move from operators to providers, and and my my first question here is. Uh, and and net then net sorry uh, evolution evolution is a fantastic uh, story with a, a huge success and and done a couple of really smart moves and I'm one of those that really admire when they acquired NetEnt and 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 got the red tie at the same time boosting mm -hmm. this company for not only being a, a, a live a casino company but also having some of the best slots in in in, in the market uh, are, are they Will they succeed in the U.S. In your opinion, do they have the right products for this? I think they have because they are they are are entertaining, fying the 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 products with the game shows, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which I think suits the the, the U.S. Uh, uh, audience. But am I right or wrong here? What, what what's your take on on this? No, I think that you're right. I mean, look, I remember talking to Evolution first time in 2013, right? This was when we first time talked about uh, the market entrance and, and they're smart people, right? A smart managed company and they knew that US, if it happens, will be a big one. But there is one big obstacle when it comes to successful development in the US. First, everything has to be, all your technology has to be based within the the the, the how you say, the, the, the borders of the state, which basically increases the operating cost, which means that you have to set up uh, the studio in every uh, uh, state, uh, which is very different than in, in, in the models that they manage globally, where they set up studios in two, three locations, and then they can basically transmit uh, uh, this to to variety of the countries. So that was the most prohibitive part when we discussed this first time, because remember the first year or the second year market was like 130, 40 million dollars. And if you look at this, that uh, uh, live uh, dealer is gonna make 15, 20% of that market and how much they're gonna make out of this, it just didn't have a sense. However, today, when you have a billion dollar casino market of which 20 to 30, let's say 30% comes from a table games and which 
50-60% comes from the live dealer, this completely changes the situation. Mm -hmm. So yes, uh, uh, I wouldn't say it is just evolution. There are many others which uh, uh, could be extremely successful there. And I think that the suppliers are actually the only one who make money at this point of time, right? <laughs> Operators are making a long-term investments and spending tens and hundreds of millions of dollars into building businesses which would yield returns in the next two, three years, who is actually making profits already now is a select amount of suppliers. In addition mm -hmm. to the people like uh, content suppliers, which live dealer and evolution is, the biggest actually uh, uh, profit maker currently are media. Let's call the media, it's different kinds of uh, affiliates and yeah. different kinds of the arrangements because they are funneling and generating the consumers for the operators. And it's very kind of low uh, OPEX uh, business with, with a very, very, very decent margin. There is definitely need for innovation. There is definitely need for adaptation. Many of European products do not work in original form in the US, but the smart companies are adapting and adjusting and creating a localized products together with the input of the operators, which better understand what their consumers really want. Yeah. So, so once again, I mean, it, it seems like it's 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 more profitable right now to sell the shovels than than digging for the gold. It's, it's definitely a, it's a is for majority yeah. of the player because remember yeah. this is an investment cycle. Like right now, the most important is to be the first to the market, at least for a majority of the players to basically gain the market share to put your brand out there and and make sure you know that you capture that 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 audience and that's why we are everybody's in spending cycles however that spending cycles is going to stabilize in the next two three years because of the two reasons there won't be too many new states to open second uh, uh, your your markets are going to start maturing because at the first year it takes usually three to five years uh, for market to mature three to really grow and then four and five are really to kind of reach to the certain major maturity after there is which there is a slow growth so the revenues are going to become much much long uh, uh, larger but your operational and marketing expenses won't drastically increase and this is where where the profit uh, 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 comes though we have to be realistic and understand that actually in the US we have much more expenses than in Europe. And these expenses comes first from taxes. Not all the states, countries in the Europe are, are, are taxing the gaming revenues, right? You can work right. through the European Union license. Second one is technology. You have to have technology or majority pieces of the technology in each and every state. A third thing is basically official uh, uh, data from, uh, from the sports leagues and so on and so forth. So it's to be seen what are actually going to be margins in the U.S. down the road, especially if there won't be online casino uh, to support and enhance the sports betting profitability. Uh, I agree. I, this is so interesting. And I have one final question on, on, on the provider side before we, we, we move to the, the final part of this. And 
from my view, aggregation has been extremely powerful in, in, in Europe with all the games and all the game studios coming up. It's, it's impossible to keep track on, or basically it's impossible to integrate all these from an operator point of view, hence the, the, the aggregators like Powerplay and others have taken a very strong position. Do you think we will see the same in the US with, with aggregators actually handling some of the burden with licensing and cross so, so the aggregators are taking licenses in state by state by state and then and by that is is paving the way or making it easier for for smaller game providers to to reach this market yeah look again some similarities and dissimilarities for european market the first aggregator that i talked to again was in 2013 and again <laughs> the biggest prohibition was actually requirements in regards to technology and licensing remember you have to get an ancillary license which means that you every shareholder which owns more than five percent of the equity in the company have to go through complicated licensing process which can be a long-term and costly right and in addition you have to go and approve each and every game or content um, that you wanna uh, offer in the market. The third thing, which is very, very important in Europe, many of, of the operators have their own technologies. So they are free basically to integrate when and with whom they want. While in the US, you have a couple of uh, um, uh, solutions in which you're either or, or using a third party technology from a big uh, third party suppliers, which are very slow in integration and have a large uh, roadmap. Some of them even have a conflicting interest in terms of offering their own aggregation tools. Um, so I think that you're going to see this more and more as the market size increases and it has economical sense for aggregators uh, uh, to come in. At the same time, I think there will be longer timelines in terms of necessity to actually place the product which is integrating either in the proprietary platforms or into third-party uh, supplier platforms which where i think the biggest challenging has been so far i mean if you look at the new jersey market currently the operators offer the largest operator offers five six hundred games right mm -hmm. when you look this in comparison with the europe there are operators which offer two and a half three thousand games so 2, 000, there is definitely yeah. need for for, for more content, but there is also need for a localized content because I think that the mm -hmm. currently US is a combination of known local national brands, which are big, basically brick and mortar supplier of the casino games and uh, international suppliers like NetEnd and, and, and similar, which, which brings kind of a novelty and a new product into the market. Aggregation yes. definitely yeah, yeah. future, but it will take a bit of more time. Yeah, sure. So two two reflections there. One is if you are early and then you really do the investment in time and resources to get all these licenses, you will have a very strong position because everyone needs needs content. But you're right as well. It's interesting to see. I follow this from a lot of markets perspective, and and it always starts in the new market with the with the. The, the bricks and mortar content, whether that has been video slots in 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 Croatia or in Germany, you the first wave of players are the players that already play the, the video slots or the slots or, or whatever in the local casinos. They are moving on. They want to have their normal games. So, so you're absolutely right. The localization and the the the, the porting of 
what you recognize when you're in the casino, it's super key to have that uh, on, on the first online uh, version, so to speak. So uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting balance. How, and after a while, this, this market will mature and it will grow and then you want more and more advanced games. And, and yeah, it's, uh, I agree with you. It's, it's, there's a position both for game developers and, and uh, aggregators if they ma can manage this, this mix, so to speak. I agree. Sure. Cool. Uh, so we we are about to to, to round this up, uh, and but I would ask you more of a, a, a philosophical question here, and and because we are, we have been past one of the most crazy years in 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 history with 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 the with the COVID pandemic, you have had been in in the US, you've been through a, a, a very strange uh, election year with with unprecedented events and so forth. So so uh, at the same time. If we talk with the COVID, it seems that it has leapfrogged the, the, the digitalization in a lot of industries with three, four, five, six years. So, so from your point of view, what is the new normal? Are we more digitalized? Are, are we coming back to where we were before? Or will, will, will we change our behavior, our uh, consumption patterns, our entertainment patterns, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. Look, uh, this, this question has been asked many times in the past, right? <laughs> and nobody really can foresee the future. But no. just go from a practical point of view, right? I'm a person that travels 120 to 160, 80 days a year. I haven't left Florida where I live for the past uh, mm -hmm. 10 months, right? So it definitely changed the behavior of, of, of many, many people. I think the question is, will it stick? I think that what mm -hmm. we are learning, humans are very adaptable creatures, right? We just adapt yeah. to the circumstances. And I think that we learn a lot with this. We learn mm -hmm. that work for home is, is not a problematic thing, that actually in many cases, it can increase the productivity, right? Less mm -hmm. travel time, less commuting time, less uh, wastage of time on, on a small talk and basically focusing on, 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 on things and uh, tasks. It also increased basically um, as I said, consumption of everything what is digital, but also breaking some of the concerns from the past. Should I leave my credit card data online and so on mm -hmm. and so forth? So we are definitely going to see a couple of things. One, uh, uh, continuous growth of consumptions of the digital media and products, continuous increase of our wallet spend in the digital media, and focus on the retail businesses on how they can partially or fully digitalize uh, uh, their businesses. It's just the nature of, of everybody's business. Look at the Walmart, look at uh, brick and mortar casinos, look at whomever you see now, everybody needs to have a sizable digital business in order to survive. At the end, I don't think that this is gonna be a doom of a retail business. We still need retail. We are still very social people. We still wanna go out and about, but I think it's a nice combination of seeing and experiencing in person, but then also being able to consume or to transact with the same uh, a product or a different products digitally. I, I I agree to one hundred percent, and I, I I always use the, the the cinemas and the sports. It's 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 actually more convenient and it's cheaper and and to, to watch this film on on your TV at home. You have your own popcorn, you have your own beer, you have your own company, etc. etc. And no one is still 
we go to the cinemas. We we you good, Kashmir? <coughs> Sorry, yeah. I'm... <laughs> That's okay. Good. Uh, we still go to the cinemas, and uh, because we need that, the more digital we become, the the, the high the, the larger the need is to surround us with people from time to time. That's also good for sport. We see how uh, how before the the pandemic, how the the the, the soccer audience numbers were rising in Sweden and ice hockey and, and handball and all these sports had more and more people coming because we need to get out of this digital bubble and and at the same time we spend more and more time there and I agree with you we will spend more money in there so it's for for, for our industry this 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 could have a very positive effect and especially if we go back to the US again where you are opening up now you will have more customers I think the growth in the US will initially be faster than in any other gaming market in the history due to these things it, it, it's gonna leapfrog it's gonna um, just do what what took like 10 years in Europe it's gonna be done in two to three years when and if legislation is 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 opening up so I think you have a fantastic, exciting time ahead of you in 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 over there in on on the U.S. market. Look, definitely, future is definitely bright in the U.S. and U.S. will be a focus for the next few years uh, for majority of the uh, operators in 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 this industry. I think the COVID just kind of progress and excel this because of the reasons that you said that brick and mortar mentality well, brick and mortar operator mentality changed and they realized that they need a digital industry i think that also legislators and the governments realize that this actually should be uh, uh regulated and and licensed because this is a, a revenue generation source but more importantly is also protects uh uh the consumer, and there will be lots of opportunities there. But in my opinion, uh, the opportunities and the highest rewards are, are reserved for those which are bold and aggressive enough, and they are willing to take a leap of faith. Those that mm -hmm. stay conservative and, and, and wait for too long, it will be much, much harder for them uh, uh, to participate, or they will participate uh, with buying in into this, which much, much lower returns than the first mm. movers and entrants uh, can expect. I think that that are some fantastic final words from from Kresimir. Uh, they they make sense as as always. But when 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 you uh, uh, debate or or talk and uh, it's been a pleasure. The time has been running. I promise Pierre to keep it around forty minutes. And I think we are. I I could I could do this for an hour, but but we don't have that time. We're an hour and a half. It's it's always a pleasure speaking to you, Kresimir. And thanks a lot for for this. And I, I really appreciate this 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 talk. Same here. Thank you for having me, Esper. Thank you. Good.